over matter. Put your mind somewhere else and keep going. That little voice in your head is trying to stop you from getting to where you want to be. Be successful and keep moving forward. With your host and world-renowned strength and conditioning coach, Phil Delrue. This video is brought to you by Privacy.com. Privacy lets you buy things online using virtual cards instead of having to use the real one. Protecting your identity and bank information on the internet. Right now, new customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. Just go to privacy.com slash to sign up now. Go to privacy.com slash P-H-I-L-D-A-R-U, and sign up now. Oh, Kaz, we got a lot of you know, trainers. We also have some fighters that watch my channel, but for those of the people that don't know who you are, can you get like a, give me like a, a summary of how you got started and now where you're at now and what you're doing with N1 and everything that you have going on? Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty simple. I'm one of those people that started off playing sports and then realized that I was better at training than, than playing the sports, or whatever. And then that just started me down the path of wanting to learn everything that I possibly could about training everything, you know, the ins and outs of biomechanics, functional medicine, uh, et cetera. And, uh, over the course of my career, um, I've really started to enjoy the, the teaching aspect of that. And so in about 2012, I started switching my career from being a coach to an educator. And that's where we kind of launched the, the platform of N1. So now we do a combination of education and research as well as like consulting with equipment manufacturing. So what's kind of unique about what we do, because, it's so foundational based is it tends to be applicable. Like if you're a bodybuilder, if you're a fighter, if you're, you know, a stay at home mom, dad, whatever, like biomechanics is biomechanics, like elbows, everybody's elbows flex, everybody's pecs, you know, and glutes and whatever they all, they work similarly. There's just some people have stronger, bigger, faster ones than other people in different aspirations, but you can basically take that foundational information and you can apply it to, to any specialty. So we've been fortunate enough to be able to work with just a ton of people and impact a lot of people in the industry. Now, are you just primarily educating other coaches? Or are you still working with clients? I don't personally work with clients, but the, the staff that I have, they still work with clients. Um, I mean, we have like, you know, we have programs on our website and stuff like that. So we're like, we work in that, but I don't directly do any one-on-one -on -one coaching. Basically the most that I will do is a consultation at this point in time, like with athletes and stuff. And it's simply because in order for me to do what I want to do at this point in my career, I can't have the schedule of a coach, right? I want to be disrespectful to all the coaches out there that, you know, are putting their client first and they're going through the grind, you know, they're getting up early and all the other stuff. Yeah. My life is way too chaotic for that. So respect <laughs> to all the coaches out there. I do miss it sometimes, but I would be a, a horrible coach at this point in my career. I, I feel you on that, man. I'm, I'm at a point right now where the transition is being made. You know, I've been a coach um, for 12 years now and uh, being a business owner, doing all these things with, uh, with the YouTube and the podcast. I totally understand. Plus being, you know, having my own family have to do that too as well. So, um, so what, what, what made the transition? Like what, where, where were you at when you were like, okay, I want to really focus in on N1 and make it to be the brand that it is today. Privacy.com makes it super easy to manage your financial lives online while keeping your most important information secure. 
by generating virtual numbers, privacy.com masks your bank account and information so you never have to worry about giving it out to people you do not know. Head to privacy.com slash Phil and sign up for an account. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. Go to privacy.com slash Phil P-H-I-L-D-A-R-U, and sign up now. I think it was always something that I wanted to do. Um, so maybe a better question that, or what you're probably asking is, is what made me finally decide to do it. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, cause like in the back of the head, it's like, I always wanted to pursue this, but I kind of got to that point where I was running out of, you know, people to look to and courses to take. And what, I mean, at a certain point you just start, like it becomes harder and harder to continue your journey as a coach because you're, you're looking for people that are at the, you know, the top of the top of the top. Like at some point you're like, man, now to learn more in this, I have to actually leave the fitness industry. Um, and so once I got there, I started to see how much effort that was. And that was like, you know what, we really like somebody really needs to push it forward. And I don't know how old you are. I assume that you're probably, you know, just a little bit younger than I am, but I would say that I think I grew up in like one of the, the golden ages of like innovation in this industry, like some of the best mentors and educators, um, you know, were around and I was fortunate to be able to learn under those guys. And then all of a sudden it seemed like we just went to kind of like a, you know, a copacetic, like, let's just kind of like stay here. Nothing. No, it's almost like people got scared to do new things and to have new ideas. And I think that's kind of the way it is now sometimes with social media and whatnot is like, you know, everybody's afraid to say something that, you know, maybe a lot of other people won't agree with her or whatnot. And so it was very frustrating. I was like, you know what, this is, this is the time to do it because, you know, I can't just sit here on my hands and wait for somebody else to do it. Like if, if you, if we want it, if I want it to exist, I'm going to have to do it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny you mentioned that because I do see people, and this is, I think this is just everybody in general, not just in the fitness industry. They want to be kind of structured towards one particular thought, right? Or one particular uh, tribe, right? They want to stay with a click. And so everybody doesn't want to go outside the box. And when those people do go outside the box, they're going to get chastised for it. And so they have to be ready for that, right? And they have to have that, that thick skin, right? Um, but you have to be somewhat of an early adopter in order for yourself to grow and to cause some type of a wave in the industry, whatever industry that is, you know, and that's what you've been doing. I see a lot of your stuff and, you know, I, I obviously I work with Alan Cress, right? We had, uh, we had Matt Domney, my boys, uh, Kyle Dobbs, they came in, they told me that you need to get with Chasm. And I looked at your stuff and I was like, you know, I love what you were doing, especially from the biomechanics side, but also from the functional health side too, as well. And we'll talk a little bit about trainability because I do want to talk about that. But what mm-hmm. were those those individuals that you said that you were mentored under that you look to to to, to get your game to where it is? Uh, I mean, starting early, it was people like Paul Check and Charles Poliquin. Um, you know, like those were the those were probably the two like biggest influences early. Um, you know, kind of like those were the two that basically once I heard them speak, I realized like, yeah, I got a degree in biochemistry or whatever, but like, I might as well be able to wipe my butt with that when it comes to training people on the floor. Like what they're saying is so much more applicable. Um, And then moving on, it was guys like Bob Burkowski and Tom Purvis that, you know, that I would then find afterwards as I started getting into, you know, more specialized stuff after that. And now I would say like, there isn't a single mentor. Now it's like, I kind of got to, like, I take little pieces, you know, from 
the people that are very specialized, you know, like, you know, like the, like the Eric Helmses and the Ben houses, you know, of the world that are now, you know, like the, the evidence-based community seems to be even more niche based than like the, like the people that were educator that came up as coaches. Now we have people that are educators that basically are academics, but they tend to teach in a much more narrow field than the coaches because, you know, they're not coming from that like very application experience base. They're coming more from an academic base. Yeah, no, I get you. So for that, when you developed like your assessment protocols, when you develop your programming, you talk a little bit about trainability. Can you explain to the people what that is actually and, and why you use it? So the way to summarize trainability is, is it's how much effort and stress do you need to oppose on your body to get a positive adaptation, right? So anytime a particular stimulus is detrained, the trainability in that will be really high, meaning it doesn't take a lot of effort, a lot of volume to get a positive outcome. And then I have a lot of room to progress in that because basically anytime we do anything from a training perspective, our body adapts to that. And then getting another adaptation that surpasses that requires a little bit more input and a little bit more input. That's why you got to apply progressive overload. That's why you got to, you know, progress volume and your, your training just has to get better in a variety of ways over time. Now, the problem is, is that you can't just infinitely progress. Like you can't just be like, yeah, I'm just going to go up five pounds a week on, you know, bench until the day that I die. Right. And I'll just be, you know, I'll be pushing the earth down by the time, you know, I'm 60. This is, anybody that's trained for a reasonable lot of time knows that's not how it works. So what we do is we try and look for what are the things that we can switch to that we can make, we'll say improvements that are relative to that person's goal. Um, but now don't require as much effort. And that's essentially how we guide our periodization is, Hey, why don't we take into account what this person needs? And then why don't we just basically pick the lowest hanging fruit all of the time? That way they're getting the highest rate of results for basically the lowest amount of time and effort. Mm -hmm. What are the, what are some of the assessment tools or protocols that you use to identify that? I mean, we look at everything from sleep, digestion, how well a person seems to tolerate volume, how well a person seems to tolerate high frequency or training to failure, like all basically the, the variables are, are numerous and really how complex you get with that kind of depends on your understanding and your confidence in it. But essentially what you're looking for is, is you're looking at a combination of like, how are they performing and how are they recovering? And the easiest one is well, what have you been doing, right? Because obviously, if you keep doing something, you know that the thing that's most trainable probably isn't the thing that you've been hammering it away at for six, eight, you know, 12 weeks in a row, right? So one of the things that's consistent across what we do is we tend to always end up putting people on a program type that is different from their goal when they first arrive, you know, and they do an N1 program or they sign up with N1 coaches like, Hey, yeah, you've been focusing on building muscle or getting stronger or whatever. Probably the thing that you don't need right now is just another one of those programs. Probably what you need is to do something that is going to bring up one of the other areas that might actually improve your recovery, right? Like a lot of times people that have been focusing on mass or strength, they're just, they're just simply out of shape, which is why, you know, their sleep sucks, their HRV sucks, their heart rate. Like, and it's like, Hey, it's like, you're, trying to, you're trying to pursue a goal that is super dependent on recovery and you haven't done any of the things that are going to boost your recovery. Yeah. I mean, everybody usually falls to what they're great at or what they're good yeah. at. They don't want to work with, they suck at. So it's funny because with my fighters, 
<laughs> they'll always go to like, and it goes with, with MMA. It's so bad because you can choose from so many different avenues of training. So like if they love jujitsu, they're going to go in jujitsu and do that as opposed to going and doing their kickboxing training. And you got to kind of pull them out of those particular realms and put them in a place where they're actually going to bring up their limiters. And we use, we use things like Moxie. We use things like, you know, an Omega wave, stuff like that to organize our Mm -hmm. training and get the stimulus that we actually need for that particular individual. Now I know you, you worked a little bit with Moxie too, right? Yep. Yep. Are you we using Moxie? That, are you using that for like more muscle activation? What's what's lagging? Anything like that, or is it more um, from like for me? It's it's more for like energy system training. To be honest, I mean we're using it more as a research tool than mm-hmm. we are as an ongoing tool. And you know, I like Moxie, but you know, in terms of practicality, applying that in your practice of like as an assessment tool, mm-hmm. it's not. I, w- I wouldn't say it's not, it's not the lowest opportunity cost that you have, right. In terms of the amount of time and effort that it takes to set that up, whatever. And, you know, there's just some, there's a lot of factors that go in there. And this is something that we've been working on, you know, with our protocols is like, okay, what is the moxie really telling us? And is it, in a certain activity, is it always telling us what we think it is? Right. So obviously in a performance sport, I think it has more application than it does in a physique based Sport and the majority of the clients that we have on site are are physique based at this moment. But I think you know if you were combining that with other performance metrics, then that could be a valid tool for what we're doing. It's kind of impractical. So what we use it for is we use it on top of our EMG to kind of assess whether or not movements are efficient at taking a muscle close to failure. Mm. Right. So that's that's the main thing that we're using it for. We're not necessarily using it for measuring capacity and recovery and you know stuff like that. No, I mean that I think that that could be a great tool for any athlete in, in general. I mean, I, obviously you work with a lot of more hypertrophy based clients, bodybuilders, stuff like that. Um, but for my guys looking at it from a corrective standpoint or bringing up those lagging muscles due to whatever, just not training it properly. Um, and then also weight cutting is a big issue for us too, as well, having to bring them back up to you know, their, their walk around weight. I always thought about that, like uh, using that moxie in those ways and in the EMG too, as well. But we're also trying to use EMG um, to see exactly when we do a particular movement, what muscles are actually firing more efficiently through that particular movement. And if we have to work or bring those muscles up to help with the movement, which I do want to talk to you about that, but we'll talk about that on another show or we'll talk about afterwards. Cause I'll get into a rabbit hole yeah. shit, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, I, I thought that that was interesting with the EMG, which is something that not a lot of people are doing, correct? No, I mean, it's another thing that's not practical and it's infinitely more expensive than, than the Moxie, right? So, <laughs> and, and, and to be honest, when we do talk about that, like we'll probably end up getting into a whole bunch of like, here's how that data can be misleading. And that's usually what everybody's con is or their confidence in those tools is not so much that the tools don't work. It's just that so, so few people are actually good at understanding what to look for in that data and how to interpret it and understanding like it can be really good as long as you understand the limitations of it. But I think, you know, people go back and forth on how valuable these tools are largely because either it's being misinterpreted or people are just trying to, they're they're trying to get the tool to do a job that it's not going to do. Yeah. So when it comes down to, let's say hypertrophy training, because that's primarily what you guys are working with programming wise, just take me through almost like if you can um, just a basic 
overlay of the assessment and then on to your programming. And, and you don't have to give me, obviously, all the answers. If you want to find out more details, guys, go to N1 because that's where he has all his information. But just give me like a, a quick overview of what you would do when you had a when you bring in a client or something like that where your coaches would come in and, and do their programming. Yeah. So, I mean, hypertrophy is basically the sport of over-recovering. That's, that's, that's the goal, right? Is over-recovering. So the first thing we do from an assessment standpoint is we're going to look at and see like, what, if anything, can we do to improve the recovery? And then usually that first program, like I said, is not going to be a hypertrophy program. It's going to be something that's going to bring up their, their weakest link, whether that's local conditioning, systemic conditioning or whatever. But then once we do work towards hypertrophy, like some of the principles that we focus on as we look at, okay, what mechanisms do we have to stimulate hypertrophy? We have mechanical tension, which is, you know, that's, that's what everybody talks about. And that's fiber level mechanical tension. So that means we're going to have to work at at least a certain degree of intensity or effort. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, but do you have strategies for that? Whereas it's just like, you can incorporate a little bit more of the passive stuff. So that means we can focus more on length and based exercises, or we can focus a little bit more on the inflammatory pathways. And that means that we're doing like longer sets, you know, and working to higher degrees of failure. Um, or you can just be a masochist and try and throw it all together, which might work for a short time for a very advanced person, but tends not to uh, work very good for most people, especially if they do it too long. So typical, if you kind of look at the principles that we have, you know, this is the, all right, we're going to be programming mostly in that stereotypical hypertrophy rep range. And we're going to be using exercises that are biased towards the lengthened position, not all, but we'll say what I usually say is what we do is we volume partition for different goals. Like, and for hypertrophy, we're going to partition a greater amount of volume towards exercises that put the muscle in the stretch than we are muscle exercises that put them in the fully short position. So that might mean that, okay, I'm going to use hack squat and I'm going to use leg extension, you know, in a variety of programs. But if it's a hypertrophy program, I'm going to be doing more sets of hack squat than leg extension because that suits that goal a little bit, but that leg extension still accomplish something that a hack squat can't, right? Same thing for like flies and presses and, and those sorts of things. Right. Um, and then it's just trying to figure out for that individual, like what is the most efficient way that we can use the volume that they can recover from. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where then like coming up with like, all right, you know, what, what type of split are we going to use and what's the architecture of those workouts going to look like? Is it going to be straight sets? Is it going to be agonist antagonist supersets, you know, or, or whatever it's going to be. Right. I know that's a lot of ifs in there, but yeah. principle wise, that's kind of what we're looking at. Yeah, for sure. So I know that you look at a lot of like inflammatory markers too, as well, based off of uh, your programming. Let's say for instance, obviously you have somebody that has high inflammation is not recovering. You wouldn't put them in a, in a highly like a metabolic training type scenario. Correct. And then you would, you know, as far as from a neural standpoint, let's say for instance, somebody's coming to you with a large amount of inflammation or, and I'm not just saying you, but I'm just saying in general, a large amount of inflammation uh, can't recover from workouts what exactly would you, what would be like the standard program for those individuals? Cause a lot of my guys, and I know a lot of people, general, general pop in, included, they just overwork themselves and it's, it's stress is systemic. Correct. So, you know, they got all these things going at them. What would be an ideal program for them? So in the furthest end of the spectrum of the person that has the largest inflammatory challenge, then what we're trying to do is use essentially the least inflammatory protocol. And that's going to be like, very strength, like neural based type programming, right? So, you know, lower reps, longer rest periods. And then we're going to try and get their, you know, their steps or whatever in like 
in at a very a very low intensity, right? So it's like I would like their energy expenditure or whatever systemic, you know, aerobic activity they get to be on the very low intensity spectrum, right? So that base that way, basically, we're creating essentially the least oxidative stress because we're not we're not demanding a lot from the energy systems at any given point in time, right? So it's like doing you know a, a heavy set of four is hard, right? Yeah. But but it's not going to leave you gassed like a hard set of fifteen. Right. You know, and same thing, like, you know, I mean, if you, if you, if you just, you know, switch and you get somebody doing 12,000 steps a day or whatever, that's fine. But likely at no point in that day where they like bent over and panting, you know, to get those steps in. Right. Like, you know, so that's, that's the situation that we're trying to work on with that person. Right. And then we would start progressing to things that were a little bit more metabolically demanding from there. Right. And the question usually comes is, well, do I do it with like the conditioning or the aerobic side of things, or do I do it with the resistance training? Right. And that's where you got to kind of see, you know, what are their goals are and what are we, what are we actually trying to progress? Yes. It's almost like a high, low approach in a sense with, with mm-hmm. a lot of those people, because um, getting back to like with my guys, they're, they're constantly training and doing a lot of different things. So we use that type of methods of, of obviously going high intensity, high neural, and then you would go into some sort of aerobic based training. Um, and, and for that, we usually stay away from a lot of the metabolic work because of the fact that they're getting that in their skills training. Mm-hmm. Primarily. So we, we like to kind of get those goes hammered in on the skills perspective because you get sports specificity. But um, but that's interesting. So now I, I did want to talk about a little bit of the business side, because you obviously made a brand for yourself. You've done, you've done, you're doing well. Um, and this is fairly new, correct? Like anyone is not, hasn't been out there for too long, correct? Yeah. 2018. So 2019. Oh, 18, 18. So, so what, what made you decide to like really go in and, and start your business? I know that you were, you were working, were you working with Ben Pekulski at one point and then, uh, and then you Mm -hmm. started to branch out, do your own thing. Yeah. So that is, I mean, short story, that was just a total disaster. Um, yeah. so that, so I'm not uh, things, Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, things you. needed, things needed to change there. That was, you know, just a disaster from everything from finances to mental health and whatever. So, um, basically the strategy was, is we're like, okay, you know, basically that put me in a hole. So I was like, well, I can start an online course because that doesn't take a lot of capital to get going. And then I'll use that to fuel the next stage of the brand and the next stage. Right. So we started with an education brand and then we launched a consumer brand where we could have like an exercise library and programs or whatever, you know, and then we started working with, you know, the equipment manufacturers and stuff and, you know, getting some clout there. And then, you know, this last year we finally opened our, own HQ. So instead of me, you know, ping ponging around the world to teach now, I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I created, I created basically the best place for you guys to come learn. You guys, you guys come to me now. Um, and I, you know, people always ask me about like the business stuff and I wish I had some secrets, but the best thing that I, or the thing that I tell people is like, look, I probably made a bunch of really poor decisions from a business aspect, especially in the short term. But what I was focused on was the long term. Is is like every step I was like, look, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it really, really well. And we're going to keep innovating that product. Even if it's doing well, we're going to keep finding ways to make it better. And even though that's going to be probably one of the slowest ways for us to build our brand and build our capital is that once we actually do get some momentum, then it's going to start to pay off. And I think that's what's happened in the last year. Well, you're creating high value. 
you know, in all actuality and doing that with social. And I know, I, I think I saw on a, on a separate podcast, you saying that you didn't spend any real money on ads or anything like that. It's all organic, which mm-hmm. is a, a testament to your value that you give for free in a lot of ways. And people are obviously trusting you in what you talk about. And, and you have obviously developed a, a level of understanding with all these people who are mainly, who are the people that obviously uh, take your courses and mostly coaches, correct? Yeah. I mean, the majority of them are coaches and part of that is the, is the content is, you know, is more advanced, but also it's because the investment level, right? So, I mean, it's like, how how much is the average person willing to invest to learn about making their biceps bigger, right? Especially when there's just so much free information out there. So I would say we probably like, you know, maybe 20% of the people that attend our events are people that are there for pure, like, to just for themselves. They don't do this as a career, right? So there's, there's no business aspect of it, but it's probably close to 75, 80% of them are coaches. Right. But lucky, you know, lucky for me, most coaches, uh, especially the ones that come here also like to train hard and, you know, like, you know, so the, the they're doing it for both selfish reasons and yeah. business reasons. Ah, for sure. So you're, you're in Colorado now. Um, were you <laughs> always there or is that, is that a newly new spot that you just uh, opened up over there? So basically since N1 started, so in 2018, we moved here prior to that, you know, it was down in, in Tampa doing that thing. Oh, okay, right. Okay. But I'm originally you, from Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause um, I got a couple of guys out there from Iowa, but, uh, and then, and then prime is in prime. Was it prime fitness? Right. Is that the name of the, yeah. They're in Pennsylvania, Franklin, I love, which man, is I love like, those things, man. I love that. I love all the machine. I heard you do uh, most of the designs for that. Is that correct? Um, well, I mean, I can't take credit for everything they have, but I would say most of the innovation that they've had in like the last four years or whatnot, you know, I've had, I've had a hand in that, you know, I mean, everything from, you know, some of the handles to the squat wedges to tweaks on machines and, you know, knock on wood, um, we're supposed to be getting some of like the new machines, but right now it's just a, it's just a nightmare in that, in that industry with supply chains and whatnot. So the, the getting anything new done, it's just, it's, it's so tough. <laughs> yeah. I bet, man. I bet. And now with the, uh, obviously with COVID and everything else, but I think that if anything, equipment manufacturing and, and just equipment companies in general had a big boom from, you know, obviously everybody wanting to do their own garage gym. I know that I couldn't mm-hmm. get anything from my gym, uh, yeah. past couple of weeks because of, uh, cause of COVID and everything else going on in the world. But, um, the CAS handles. I tried those out, man. I love those things. What made you, what made you do those? What made you like come up with that? Uh, I mean, on, honestly, that was them reaching out to me wanting to have an innovative product. Right. Yeah. And, you know, but it needed to be something. The irony is, is they wanted something simple. And I thought that that product would be something simple. I mean, it is just a, it's just a hunk of metal. Right, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. with 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 some straps going through it or whatever, it's just cone shaped. But it ended up being really complicated because knurling an angular piece of metal apparently is a really, really complicated thing to do. And so it took like a year just to get like that thing down or whatnot. Right. Um, you know, but a lot of the thing, like almost all of the things that I have worked on are things that I have wanted myself, not, not necessarily just for my personal training, but to yeah. have as a tool to work with people. Cause you know, 
a lot of times, you know, if you follow us on social media, you'll see sometimes I just do these elaborate contraptions where I'm playing around, you know, I'll, I'll steal boxes and benches and, you know, daisy chain, whatever. And like, you to make these things or whatever. Um, and some people are like, Oh, he's going, you know, whatever crazy or whatever. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just playing around doing, what I like, and I'm just kind of sharing the thought process with you guys. I'm not suggesting any of you guys like try to play Bob the builder in your gym. Um, but then I'm like, man, but we could make something that would accomplish this goal. Right. Um, and the more we learn about my biomechanics, the more we understand, man, there is so much more we could get out of equipment than what we currently are in terms of like what would actually fit the body and what would actually help us target these specific positions and how much adjustability you would like to have in a machine. Like the more you learn, you're like, man, I wish the bench or the arm or whatever did this because it just gives me just this A to B path. And I'm like, I would like, you know, like A to E like options instead of, you know, that, especially if you train, you know, a wide variety of body types. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, some of the machines, obviously all the machines now, right. They, they manipulate the strength curve so you can hit it wherever you want. Right. You pretty, yeah, pretty much all of the prime machines do. I mean, obviously there's a couple of things, you know, that either that's not feasible on or, or whatnot, you know, um, but um, you know, like, I, like, I don't think their assisted pull up or whatever has the cam, but for the most of it, like, you know, if it's got three pegs on the weight horn, then, you know, it adjusts, right. Like it's that, yeah. it's that simple. What are some good ways um, to train with that particular, like, let's say for instance, I love the um, what is it? The uh, seated leg curl. I love the, the chest press and the uh, was it the chest supported row. I love all those. Those three are like my, my go-to when I go, I have a gym uh, revive revive gym where, where Alan trains at. I have that. I go there for, for those particular uh, machines, nothing else. I have like three gym memberships and I own my own gym, but you know how that goes. Cause you just want to jump different gyms. Um, but what, what could you do as far as like changing it up? Like, let's say, for instance, obviously you want to work like the short in the range and the length in range. Is there any, any like particular protocols that you use for that? Uh, we, we have a ton. And uh, has Alan made you do a cast set yet? I don't think I want to now that that sounds, I know. <laughs> no, that sounds a little. A little All wild. right. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll shoot him a text message when we get off here. That, <laughs> that needs right, to man. happen. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it. And so the thing to understand about the prime equipment is, is it's not adjusting the range of motion. It's just adjusting the resistance curve, the resistance profile, right? And those are the two things that we're looking at varying the most when we're trying to target an exercise. We're either trying to train different ranges of motion, or we're trying to train how we load that particular range, right? So you have both of those tools to play with, but they're often confused for the same thing, you know, but they're, they're not right. Like a shortened pack means your arms coming across your chest. Right. But just, you can change that machine and you can have an, it's something that only brings your arm out straight, but it could still be hardest at the top. Right. So for instance, if you did a barbell bench with bands or chains, you would be making it harder at the top, but you wouldn't be working the pec any shorter than a regular barbell press. So with the prime stuff, um, again, you can shift it towards your goal. So basically I can use things that are a little bit more lengthened biased on the resistance profile for hypertrophy and a little bit more shortened biased when I'm focusing on uh, metabolic work. Right. Uh, but you can also, if you understand where that exercise happens to train, and then maybe you're using other exercises that don't have that option. So let's, for instance, let's say you were going to do a dumbbell row, and then you were also going to do a chest supported row in your program right? Because the dumbbell row, basically, you know, it's gravity. So as long as you're not flinging it, 
it's really going to be hard at the top and it's going to be easy at the bottom. So then to complement that with your chest supported row, you would then flip that and you would use the thing that made it really hard in the lengthened position so that you got that complement. Another thing is, is that when it comes to strength and performance, resistance profile tends to carry over a lot. Meaning that like, just because you can do a whole movement strong, if you don't ever actually challenge it at a specific position, you don't get as neurologically efficient at that specific position. And this is why if people have never, like if people have never been able to load a lengthened position of a lat, like you can on the, like on the prime stuff, once, when you first expose them to their, their, the, the, the weights that they can use are pretty pitiful, but they might be really strong at all their free weight exercises or cable exercises they've done because they're relatively strong in the short position, but they're not, they're not as neurologically efficient in that other position, even though they should be mechanically stronger, they'll progress fast, but strength is very like you get, we'll say up to maybe like a third, like 30% of that range of motion. You get what we'll call like a little bit of like a, like a radiant effect. Meaning that if you train somewhere close that you get strong, you know, in the, in the areas around that, yeah, I think it's, it's only so effective. It like 15 degrees up or down. Right from from where yeah something like that so yeah i mean it kind of depends on the motion that we're talking about yeah yeah for sure like so like for instance we get a guy for us we usually stick them in their what we call mini maxes or their weak points or weak you know weak spots in the Mm -hmm. lift and we'll we'll do something like an overcoming isometric in that particular range to help increase the strength in that range and Mm -hmm. uh that'll primarily be closer to like competition um for a lot of them um and then we'll put them in like in a in a position where it's going to have the most transfer whether it be, you know, like a quarter squat, something like that. Um, but I was thinking about that, like when we get the machines, we can overload that particular range and then obviously put no load on whatever range they're strongest at and just kind of work the, the weak range. You know what I mean? Yep. Or work the and range that's specific to the sport. Yeah. For, for physique-based goals, like if you want to talk about just like plain Jane, very simple way that you might really like, like using that stuff is like, when I go in, uh, I will start my early sets and I will challenge the short position, knowing that that's the position that's going to fatigue first. And I'm obviously going to be working either at a lighter load or a lower intensity, lower effort, you know, for those first couple sets, right. I'm not going to jump on the first set. It's just, you know, the failure. So I'll purposely choose the resistance profile that is going to bias that position a little bit so that I can kind of like, get a little bit more of that, like, you know, in the short position, you get a little bit more neurological stimulation because you have to shorten that muscle all the way. So it's like, you know, if you want to think of it, having a primer, a better, you know, preparatory effect, it can, it can, it can have that. And so then what I'll do is then I'll slowly progress to what I want to use for the resistance profile of my working sets. So I may be like, okay, so the first maybe one or two sets of the rows, maybe I do as a short position and then set three, I move it in towards the mid or whatever. And then set like four and five, I'm like moving now towards the, the length. And so what that does is it almost gives me like a little bit of a mechanical drop, but not within a single set, but over the course of the sets, which allows me to progress the load more. Right. But not necessarily get a bunch of fatigue in those positions because I was using an alternate resistance profile in the prep work. Right. Yeah. That kind of bring me to that. What do you think of like pre-exhaustion and things of that nature? Like, let's say, for instance, for the quads or, you know, doing leg extensions before for squats or something like that. And obviously there's different squats, but and I know you know this. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just say, like, just to give you context, like leg extension and then into a squat. Is that something that would be advantageous for hypertrophy or is that something that 
really isn't really necessary. So the rule for pre-exhaust for hypertrophy, I mean, it definitely can be useful, but what needs to happen is the second exercise needs to be biased enough that the squats will still be the, th- or the, the, the target muscle. Like, so in this case, the quads will be the thing that causes failure without, you know, something else failing or it becoming overly challenging for the technique. So in the example you gave leg extension, then squats, it would need to be like a super heel elevated squat and a very advanced individual, because you're basically, that's a really complicated second exercise to go into fatigue. The body's going to be like, Hey, we got glutes right? And adductors, well, why don't we use these? The quads are dead. So you'll be fighting that fatigue to maintain the technique. But if your second exercise is something stable, like a hack squat or a pendulum squat or whatnot, where basically it's like, yeah, you're still going to just going to have to use the quads. Then that becomes a much more reasonable pre-exhaust format. Let me ask you this. So what if I decided to pre-exhaust the muscles that are the strongest in the squat? Like for me, it's my hamstrings and my hips, right? And then I want to bias quads, and then I would go heel elevated. I'd, I'd smash my hamstrings and my glutes to like make sure that they're not even a part of this whole scenario. And then put my body in the right mechanical advantage to allow for the quads to only do the work in, 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 you know, in a sense. Or just go and do hack squats or you know, leg presses or something like that. That makes sense? So, so from a hypertrophy standpoint, you want to pre-exhaust the target tissue okay. because basically – when it's fatigue, that means like, if I mean, you're familiar with kind of like the effective reps theory, right? So it's like when we're working things closer to fatigue, we're actually getting more of the mechanical tension stimulus. Sure. So that, so from a hypertrophy standpoint, you would only want to pre-exhaust the target tissue. Now, from a strength perspective, mm-hmm. you could pre-exhaust the non-target tissue okay. so that then the other tissue has to actually do a greater percentage of the force production. Okay. In the second exercise, but that would be poor for hypertrophy in those tissues, but mm-hmm. could be value from a strength perspective. Cause you're basically forcing more neural drive in those tissues because the fatigued muscle can't contribute to the force production as much. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So, so you, th- those would be applicable for different goals, but you wouldn't, fit, you wouldn't pre fatigue the non-target muscle in a hypertrophy goal. Gotcha. Okay. So like, you could primarily do, and I'm just giving examples for like the, uh, the strength perspective. I did a split squat, like an SSB split squat, front foot elevated more in that late gate stance to bias quads for more strength in an acceleration movement, right? So whether it be a sprinter, whether it be a wrestler, that would be something that we could use to help drive more neural adapt or neural strength or neural uh, drive and adaptation towards strength with that particular movement as I bias the quads and then obviously tear up my hamstrings and my glutes beforehand. That what we're saying? You know, so, yeah, because, because you would be forcing the quads to be, uh, to do more of the work, more of the force production. Yep. Yep. That's essentially. Yep. Okay. All right. My bad. I know I talked a lot on that one. Yeah. And what I would say is in that instance, you don't want to take the exercise, the second exercise deep into fatigue. You want it. You almost want it in that context, like 
go for the more explosive reps in that scenario so mm-hmm. that you're getting the neurological benefit, but it's not going to do any good to try and take the exercise deep into fatigue because of the limiter that you created. What you're trying to do is say, Hey, I create an environment, which basically says these guys are now going to be called upon more by the nervous system. So I'm going to hit more of those high threshold motor units, et cetera. Right. But I don't necessarily want to take this to failure. Definitely not past technical failure in that instance, or I'm just going to turn it into a really crappy hypertrophy exercise for the other muscle. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Okay. Yeah. There's a definite, definite difference between hypertrophy and strength. I get that, but, um, mm-hmm. but now it's got me thinking. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. But, uh, it's kind of like anti-contrast training. It's kind of, if, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I'm all for it. Just changing it up a bit. You know, I got to be the first to do it, man. I mean, you've probably done it before, but you gotta, I, I gotta try it out at least, you know? Thinking like, okay, what about, what about, um, have you ever done, obviously have post-activation potentiation, have you ever done pre-activation potentiation? Pre-activation potentiation? I don't even know what that would mean. Like how, how, yeah. how, how so do you activate something before it's activated? Like- exactly, right? So, so this is funny because I had a guy ask me about this and I go, man, I don't even know what that even means. You just said that. And so I'm like, so he's saying mostly like, okay, we're going to go into an explosive movement and then do into, go into a heavy like deadlift or something like that. So whether it be mm-hmm. like a, uh, a box jump into a heavy deadlift, you mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, does that make any sense? I didn't think so, but from a sports standpoint, let's say for instance, from a grappling standpoint, a lot of it is explosive into a static motion. Right. So you got to be you have to be fast to get in and then you have to be strong and able to able yourself to, to get the takedown. So from a specificity standpoint, I understood that, but not from like a neuromuscular standpoint or not from a science standpoint. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The question I always have about those is, is like, is mimicking what happens in the sport the best way to improve the quality, though? Right. Because it could yeah. be like, well, this happens in the sport. But yeah. training it that way is a very inefficient way of improving your capacity to do those two things, right? Yeah, I mean, you train yeah. a sport in the sport, you don't train it in the, in yeah. the weight per se. So that, no, nah, I get it. All right, so uh, all right, so last thing, I want you to talk about, obviously, where they can find N1, how they can sign up, everything, your social, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit off air. But go ahead. Sounds- well, you guys can find us on Instagram. I'm just coach underscore Cassim. Uh, and then we have two uh, N1 accounts, N1 education and N1 training. Simple answer is the more complicated stuff is on N1 education and the more simple stuff is on N1 training. So whichever one of those is going to suit you the best. And we've just started kind of pushing our YouTube. Um, so if you want to jump on there and join and subscribe, that's cool. If you want to jump all in and take our courses or, you know, visit our exercise library with all of our stuff, right? So we have n1.education, n1.training. Those are our websites, respectively. All the information about our courses uh, and member stuff is on there. There are trials for both of those. Um, I can send you links for those if you want to include them in your show notes or whatever. But, um, you know, you can watch, I think, something like six hours of our course content to kind of see the depth that we go in there. Um, And then you can jump in and see our exercise library, which is pretty cool. I don't know if you've been in there, but I mean, you can literally search the exercises by, hey, I want to work this muscle and I want to work the lengthened position or the short position or this resistance profile. And you can get that 
like detailed if you want, or you can just be like, Hey, show me good exercises for this. Or even you can say like, Hey, I have this machine. What the hell can I do with it? And all the prime stuff is in there. We're probably the only place that like we have all of the prime stuff. Love it, man. Love it. All right, guys, make sure you check them out. Kaz, I want to thank you for hopping on with me. Stay, stay, stay real quick. I want to talk to you a little bit and I'll see you guys next time. Peace.